OK, we're going to begin. Now, this story is a special story for Easter. It's called It Happened at Easter, and it's taken from It's a Rum Life, Book 4, Volume 1, Northcote, 1984-1998. This all came about after the National Lottery had been launched, and around a £140 million was disappearing out of the national economy every week. It had made a huge difference to our income, and within 18 months of the National Lottery commencing, we were £38,000 in debt. Incidentally, it transpired that at the same time, many other animal sanctuary type places had lost similar large amounts of money. As I write this in 2007, uh, there are still large numbers of the public who donate huge parts of their income into the lottery every week in the hope of a better life. We had had an accountant at this time. He seemed to take great delight in telling us that we were insolvent, but he needed paying. I took great delight in kicking in the front of his desk haven't seen him from that day and don't particularly wish to. Things were not just tough. There was no obviously way out, no way to pay the mortgage or pay the £38,000 of creditors or to pay for the regular keep of all the animals in our care. Visitor income had tumbled so much we really could not rely on visitors for the future. Staff had to go. We would have to manage without the few local folk who had been manning the shop and tea room from the very beginning in 1989. That just left Ruth and myself. Ruth was working full-time, thank goodness, and otherwise we would just have to manage. We both mucked out together every morning until Ruth had to depart to care for her own patients. I carried on afterwards, just doing what was physically possible. The tablets helped. I'd suffered a heart problem not long after arriving here at Northcote in 1984 and the doc had prescribed some little yellow wizards that kept my heart beating regularly. That's some of the background to the next series of events that actually were to change the rest of our lives. Easter was upon us and the very first open day of the year was Good Friday the actual Good Friday. There had been some nice folk visiting, but one really awful Scottish lady wound me up so much the problem with her stayed in my head for the rest of the day. She seemed to be critical about everything. It was darn difficult to manage the shop and the tea room and do the hands-on programme all on one's own. Nothing would pacify her, and I think in the end I asked her to leave. Everything came, at, at evening came at long last, and we wandered off to the local chapel in the village, as we always do on Good Friday. The service was always in the evening. This particular evening, our own minister was taking the service. Alan Robson has been sent from heaven. I tell everyone this when I go about doing my talks up and down the county. Every time he preaches, he has a positive message which uplifts the soul. 
Alan is one of those natural speakers. His gift can make your hair stand up on end at the back of your neck. On this particular evening, I just could not concentrate on anything at all. That darn Scottish woman had got under my skin. It wasn't until the final hymn of the evening that anything registered. Alan suddenly stood and said that he was changing the hymn that had been announced for something else. That something else broke the spell for me. In the last verse there was such a strong message about help being there if only you ask. I took the idea on board immediately. Well, almost straight away. It was as I remember the next day, Saturday, and I was mucking out on my own. There's nothing like two hours of shifting horse muck and wet straw for concentrating the mind. I began to talk to God. The work went on in automatic pilot and the conversation developed. Francis. The first advice I received was to get some help from voluntary helpers. After duly involving the local newspaper and explaining our situation, we had our very first volunteer. This was Francis, an ex-prison officer who had been suffering from acute cancer. Francis had not reached the age of retirement, but had been unable to continue working full-time due to his illness. Voluntary work had been suggested to him, and he duly turned upon our doorstep in smart slacks with military creases and beautifully polished shoes. We toured the establishment, duly meeting all the horses and ponies, and I explained our objectives and parlous situation. Francis proved to be an amazing man. Despite his terrible experiences, he appeared almost every day, and between us we achieved the impossible. Apart from the fact that with his help buildings could be repaired, he gave me the encouragement to stride on once more. We badly needed a tractor to replace our aged and decrepit 1950s model Ford Major. Francis persuaded me to write to all the local tractor dealers and ask for help. On the Christmas Eve of that year, the sales manager from a tractor dealers in Sleaford telephoned. I've your letter on my desk, he said, and I do so want to help. He continued, I've just traded in a little international tractor that will do you fine. I'm going to service it and make sure everything works and then it will be on its way to you, he concluded. We were truly amazed. And good is his word, within the week this beautiful little machine was delivered, our Christmas gift. Francis loved that tractor and all the next year he was its only driver. He collected hay from as far away as Mablethorpe and moved all the stable yard manure to dumps in and around the farmer's, local farmer's fields. Tragically, Francis suffered a relapse of his dreadful disease and decided he could not continue working with the horses. After a further major operation, he spent more time at home with his wife, only to find that she herself contracted cancer within that year and died quite quickly. I was able to repay Francis one way when daughter Helen bought me a, a trial flying lesson from Humberside Airport for my birthday present. 
the instructor told me I could take a friend along as well. So Francis came for the ride. In the time allowed, we managed to reach Northcote and make a couple of passes over the centre. We also had to wait before takeoff for an RAF Hercules to land, and that was an experience in itself. Francis had a beautiful enlarged photograph on display in his home, a continuous memento of his happy days working at Northcote. I had photographed him one morning as he had exercised Jacob, our young Percheron horse. Francis had the horse on long reins. We were teaching the horse voice commands, ready for driving in a wagon. The photograph was taken on the local airfield, close to our centre, and I managed to choose a position slightly lower than Francis and Jacob as they came down the road towards me. It was just one of those perfect studies, a one in a hundred, and so appropriate. No sooner had we lost Francis and we found ourselves under huge pressure from the bank that held our mortgage. Due to our severe drop in income, several months had gone by without us being able to make any regular payments. The bank was threatening to repossess the property. Bolstered by my prayers and their answers, I went to court to fight our case. We managed to win a reprieve. With the agreement of the bank, Ruth began to pay the mortgage out of her income, together with other liabilities, as and when she could. We began to see some light, but times were very difficult and showed us where our friends existed. Very soon afterwards, I found myself in court once again. Just before the big problems had begun, I'd bought a second-hand porter cabin to act as a new secure harness room. As in March 1992, thieves had broken into our harness room and taken everything we had worked hard to collect and conserve. Fortunately, it had been insured. But we had to buy new to replace the older, beautiful antique harness from our original collection. We needed better security, hence the porter cabin. The local vendor had agreed to supply the cabin on easy terms over two years and I was obviously to pay interest on the amount I owed him. When things got really hard, I told him I could not pay for a while, and would he wait for his money? He decided not to, and took me to court. This was a prominent Spilsby businessman, who I had done many favours for in the past, during my time working for Morton's newspaper group. Over the years, I had managed to become quite eloquent, and this time was no exception. We received a very fair judgment to pay what was owed over the next three years. This was obviously much to his annoyance. You see, some good comes out of evil, and was he evil? And to illustrate that fact even further, after the amount had finally been paid into court, he sent me a bill for the outstanding interest. I took great delight in informing him that our original agreement for paying with interest had become void the moment he took me to court for what we owed him. It eventually took Ruth and myself ten years to clear all the amount owed to our creditors following that dreadful time in 93-94. But we survived, and my help from regular conversations with our creator were our saviour, without any shadow of a doubt. 
there we are i hope you enjoyed that little story brought to you by cracker books written and read by keith sanders there are more stories you can read on keith sanders is the storyman.wordpress.com and lots more audio stories to listen to on this buzzsprout site there are lots of videos to watch on youtube horse videos animal videos all kinds of things and uh, that's uh, Keith Sanders, a short story man on YouTube. There's a shop. This is the important bit. Uh, we produce books from all with all the stories that you're listening to and read. Uh, they're not very expensive. They're all downloadable on the internet, and you can see them on Richard Keith Sanders. Dot sells, S-E-L-Z, dot com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>